This teaching is brought to you by Christian Family Church International. Good morning, Christian Family Church. It is a real honor and privilege to be here. Please be seated. I have a heart and passion for uh, speaking into the space of wholeness and freedom. It's my own journey. Uh, just to let you know, uh, uh, this time last year, I published my first book, which was very exciting. It is available in your bookshop. It's called Care for Wholeness. Care is an acronym for creating authentic restorative environments because I believe we serve a God of restoration. And when we lean into Him, all things are possible. And so that's my heart to share with you today. But this morning, I'm gonna be speaking on the topic, prepare your minds for action. Four years ago, we moved up from Durban to Joburg. Any Durbanites in the room? Thank you, I feel at home. Uh, and um, I had no idea about your electrical thunderstorms. That was quite something. I remember my first summer, I think my husband was traveling and one of those thunderstorm hits and a lightning bolt struck our front garden and the entire household, dogs, cats, kids came running and we all jumped on the bed. We thought that was the safest place in the room. And um, there's something about storms that when a storm hits, it kind of exposes fears and insecurities. Now, my husband, Dennis, he's here. He's a real MacGyver. Anybody remember the TV show MacGyver? It was my first heartthrob when I was about 12. And um, MacGyver was one of these dudes that could fix anything. Well, that's my husband. And uh, what's interesting is that when a storm hits and he's home, I almost feel like I can laugh in the face of a storm because I know my MacGyver can fix anything. He's there if a storm hits. And the reality is our experiences of storms change when we know who's in the boat with us and we know the power of the one in the boat with us. There's a story in Mark 4, 34 to 41 that speaks about how the disciples were in a storm, they were in the boat, Jesus is sleeping, and it describes this perspective of how they were looking at the waves that were, that were sinking the boats. You see, their eyes weren't on Jesus, their eyes were on the storm and the damage that storm was doing. And this is what they said to him when they woke him up. They said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? What is the story you tell yourself when you're in a storm? Is the story you're telling yourself bringing you life or death? And this is the space that I wanna speak into because many of us experience storms and often they come with no warning, they come in the dark, when it's cold, when it's scary, and storms have an ability to impact the very thing that we often turn to for our security, like a boat. And so I wanna give you some insights into this space on how do we deal with the storms of life? How do we prepare our minds for action in those space? When I was in my 20s, I lived in the UK, and if any of you have been to London and you've been on the, on, on, on the underground system, you would uh, recognize the sign that goes, please mind the gap. All over the, the, 
subway tubes is the sign saying, mind the gap, it's up on the screens. And there's a, 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 somebody on a, on a microphone that's constantly announcing, mind the gap, please mind the gap. You see, on the subway trains, there's the space between the train and the platform that often people don't see, and it's very easy to fall into that gap because you might be on your phone or chatting to someone, and so there's this constant reminder to be aware of the gap. Now, there's a gap in our minds that I wanna speak into today. Because it's, it's a similar space where most of us aren't aware of. It's a, it's a space in our minds that we can so easily trip up in. And it's the story we tell ourselves. Because many of us don't think about what we're thinking about. And we're aligning our thoughts to lies that trip us up. There's a scripture in 1 Peter 1 verse 13. It says this. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. The King James Version says this, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. When you read that phrase, you almost wanna put on a Scottish accent, don't you? Gird up the loins of your mind. It's got this kind of vibe. And when I looked up, what is the meaning to gird up your loins? It means this, to prepare for a fight, to prepare for an enormous task, to prepare to go into battle, to be mindful of the battleground. Now, in biblical times, they would understand what it meant to gird up your loins. It was a phrase that they would use because when the men would go into battle, they would wear tunics. You would see a picture of it on your screens now. They would wear these cool little dresses, but when they went to war, they would have to get a belt, pull up their dress so they could gird up their loins because the last thing they wanted to do when they go into battle is trip on the hems of their dresses. Wouldn't kind of go down, you know, whoops, <laughs> I tripped over my hem. And so they would understand this idea of that when I go to battle, I need to prepare my mind. I need to gird up the loins of my mind. And I think the scripture is so relevant for today because we're in a war and we're in storms and we need to prepare our minds for that battle. And that's what I wanna speak in today. So I have a real heart for theology and psychology. And so I wanna bring these two things together. I'm gonna give you some practical insights and tools into some theology, um, into some psychology concepts. And then we're gonna apply it to a story in scripture. And then I want you to be applying it to your own stories. Okay, are you with me? Are you ready? Awesome. So the first concept that I wanna say to you is this, is that as human beings, There are three core needs that we all yearn for. Am I loved? Do I have purpose? And what is my value? Now, ideally, we're meant to find those three core attributes in our relationship with God and Creator. But when we find that instead in creation, and then a storm hits creation, these things red flag in our world. So whenever our need for security significance and self-worth is threatened, it will trigger emotions such as anger, anxiety, and fear. Whenever our need for security, significance, and self-worth is threatened, it will trigger emotions such as anger, anxiety, and fear. Consider in your world, what do you find your security, significance, and self-worth in? And when the storms of life threaten it, Reflect back on the emotions that you struggle with. 
The second concept that I want to teach you is a practical tool in psychology. It's a cognitive behavioral therapy tool. I know that sounds quite fancy. It's really simple. I'm going to teach you these concepts. Uh, and so on the screen, you're going to see the diagram. And uh, the first letter A stands for activating event. This is any trigger or event or storm that happens in our lives. B stands for my belief. It's the story I tell myself about the events I'm going through. You see, if I'm in a boat with Jesus, if the story I'm telling myself is he's strong, he's for me, that's why he's asleep, he's at peace in the storm, then I'm gonna have a different experience. The story I tell myself changes my experience of the storm. The story I tell myself also produces, which is the C, the consequent emotion. My consequent emotion is the fruit of my story, my belief, which then influences, dictates to my behavior. All behavior is driven by a need to connect or self-protect. My behavior is either gonna be one of fight or flight. My behavior is also gonna have an effect on my world around me. If my behavior is one of avoidance and kind of just pulling away, believing that I have no value, no worth, then my behavior is gonna have a negative effect on the world around me. And the reality is that the mind has the ability to gather any evidence to back up the story it is already telling itself. If my story is that I don't belong and I behave in a way that I don't belong, well, I'm probably not gonna be included because my behavior is gonna influence my world around me. Now I wanna zoom into the mind the gap space. When we go back to that diagram, you'll see there's a space between the A and the B, and we're gonna zoom into that space because this is the mind, the gap space that most people don't often think about. You see, every time I go through some kind of an activating event, the first thing I do is ask why questions. It's very normal and natural. Why did God allow COVID? Why did this person betray me? Why did that person not respond to my WhatsApp? I've seen they've read it, but they haven't replied to me yet. Like, why? We want understanding, it's normal. But it's also in this space that thoughts come into our minds. You know that every thought doesn't always originate from you. So we need to consider the source of our thoughts. Is it bringing me life? Was it bringing me death? 2 Corinthians 10 verse five says that we need to capture a rebellious thought. That word thought is the word neoma, say neoma. We need to capture neomas. Neoma, the meaning of the word neoma is a thought with an evil intention. It's kind of like that movie Braveheart. You know, when they get an arrow, they dip it in fire, they would shoot it into the thatch of the enemy's house with the hope that it would land in the thatch and burn their house from the top down. That's the way the enemy works. He wants to shoot neoma thoughts into the thatch of your mind, hoping that you will agree with it. You see, the only power that thought has over you is if you agree with the thought. The second you agree with the thought, it becomes a belief and it has a life of its own. This is the work of the enemy. He wants to speak lies over every circumstance that you go through. And here's one of the biggest schemes that he has. He wants you to believe that what you go through, your experience, your behavior or the behavior of others equals who you are. If you're rejected, it's because you're unlovable. 
you fail, it's because you are a failure. He turns experience into identity. So I wanna take these tools that I've given you and we're gonna apply it to a story in scripture and see how it plays out. The story is found in Genesis 37 and we read about a large family and uh, in this family, they have a threat to their lives, to their security, their significance, their self-worth. And in the story as a father, his name is Jacob, he's got 12 sons. Okay, I think that's just chaos right there. <laughs> I've got two sons. And uh, I'm no longer mom, I'm just ref. I'm just refing all the time. But anyway, he's got 12 sons and uh, they've got a threat uh, because the second youngest, Joseph, is Jacob's favorite and he shows you know, massive favoritism. He clearly didn't go on any parenting courses. Um, and so he unwisely shows favoritism to Joseph. And this stirs up all sorts of emotions inside of them. Listen to this, Genesis 37 verse four. But the brothers hated Joseph. Can you hear the consequent emotion? Hatred. Because the father loved him more than the rest of them. Can you hear the activating event? Okay. They couldn't say a kind word about him. Can you hear the behavior? The hatred resulted in this behavior of not being able to show a kind word. Now, Joseph's young, he's immature. He kind of adds a little bit of fuel to the fire. And he has these dreams about how he's gonna be raised to a position of a king and how his family are gonna bow down before him. Any of you older brothers or sisters in the room, imagine if your youngest sibling says, you know, one day you're gonna to bow to me. I mean, these guys hated the brother already. Now they like, they like despise him because he's bragging about how they're gonna bow down before him. So we've got activating events, favoritism, I wonder what the belief story was the brothers told themselves. Why is dad showing him favoritism? What's so special about him? He's like the runt of the family. What's wrong with me? You see how when we go through these kind of circumstances, often we don't look at the circumstance for what it is. We personalize it. It's because there's something wrong with me. Maybe I'm unlovable. Maybe there's something about me that is dysfunctional or whatever it is. And the consequence emotion was hatred and resentment. And the behavior was even to the point of murder. You see, when we're feeling powerless over our circumstances, we will look for behavior that makes us feel powerful. These brothers were powerless over the favoritism dad was showing to Joseph. So they looked for behavior that made them feel powerful. They thought, if we can get rid of him, we'll make it better. And what, whatever behavior you escape to, you'll often become enslaved by. We look for behavior that makes us feel powerful in the moment. Maybe that's alcohol. I feel powerful when I'm on alcohol. But if I keep turning to alcohol to make me feel better about myself, I will become enslaved by it. They thought if they sold Joseph off, that it would make it better. So they took his jacket, soaked it in some blood, took it to their father and said, hey dad, we're so sorry, your favorite son's you know, maybe been eaten by a wild animal. They thought now they would get the attention. Genesis 37, 35 says this, and all the sons and daughters came to comfort him, him being Jacob. 
but he refused to be comforted. He said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the the grave. So his father wept for him. You see, the brothers were focused on the problem. They thought if they eliminated the problem, they would find the the, the resolve. So now I wanna compare. How did Joseph respond to his threats versus the brothers? What can we learn from Joseph's response that we can apply to our own lives? Because Joseph also went through threats in his world. We know that, first of all, he was sold into slavery. He was sold to a guy named Potiphar. He was the senior officer of Pharaoh, who was the king of Egypt at the time. In a sense, he was a victim of human trafficking by his own brothers. Just imagine the level of betrayal he went through. What was the story he was telling himself? Like, why is my brothers doing this to me? Like, what have I done? Added to that, he had worked his way up to the senior position of Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife kind of took a bit of a fancy to Joseph, and so she seduces him a number of times. He rejects her. He kind of knew that this would be the wrong thing to do. He had a deep reverence for God and a respect for for Potiphar, and so he, he denies her three times, and she falsely accuses him of rape. Imagine the story going on in her mind. She's also caught in her own cycle. You know, what's wrong with me? Why are you you rejecting me? Her behavior was one of then falsely accusing him. Added to that, while he's in prison, he helps Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, who was also in prison at the time, and he interprets a dream for him. And this guy gets released, the dream comes true, and and, and Joseph says to him, hey, dude, when when you get out there and back in the world, please don't forget me. But he does. For two years. So he's sold into slavery, he's falsely accused of rape, and he's used and forgotten. And all of these three events happen over a 13-year time frame. Imagine the story that was going on in his mind. I wonder if it sounded like, oh, you know, there's something wrong with you. You know, you bragged about how God's going to raise you to be king. But look at you. You're in a prison. No one thinks about you. No one cares about you. You're nothing. God's not real. Or maybe the thoughts were, I'm for you, not against you. I have a plan for you to prosper you. Fix your eyes on me. You see, some thoughts bring death. Some thoughts bring life. Do you know the source of your thoughts? Whatever I choose to agree with literally has the power to bring life or death into my world. And again, the only power the enemy has over you is when you agree with his life thoughts. Joseph and his brothers both experienced trauma. They both experienced rejection, betrayals, hurts. They had to both process these things themselves. As I said before, the enemy wants you to believe that what you're going through equals what your value is. So the question is, why did Joseph not seek revenge? like his brothers did? Why did Joseph have a different response to the circumstances that he was going through? What was the difference between him and his brothers? 
in Genesis 29 verse 2 and in Genesis 29 verse 21, it says this, the Lord was with Joseph. In the text, the word Lord is written in capitals. In other words, this was the covenant-keeping God. This was Yahweh. You see, Joseph knew that God had made a promise to his great-grandfather Abraham that he would be made into a great nation. You see, he was holding on to truth instead of the tensions. You see, the only difference between a victim and a victor is choice. What you choose to fix your eyes on is the difference between life and death. The brothers focused on the problem. Joseph focused on the truth. When you're in a crisis, when you're in a storm, what are your eyes on? Are they on the storm or are they on the savior? Are they on the prison or are they on the promise? Are they on the tensions or are they on the truth? What are you fixing your eyes on when you're in a crisis? What is the story you are telling yourself when you're in a crisis? What lenses are you looking through when threats come your way? Do you know the power of the one in the boat with you? I believe how we respond to crises and storms and threats and prison spaces is the difference between life or death. And I believe right now in the world, the world needs messengers of hope. A true messenger of hope can speak hope even in a situation that is hopeless because they know who they have hope in. They know the power of the one in the boat with them. In Genesis 50 verse 19, this is Joseph speaking. This is later on in his story. He says, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. That's what the world reads right now. Many people are drowning in the storms of their lives. They need messengers of hope. My encouragement to you is what are you fixing your eyes on and are you messengers of hope that you can go into the world where you see someone in crisis and you go, you know what? I know the truth about a God that is more powerful than the storm you're in. And you see, when you start to fix your eyes on the one that saves you, then your experience of the storm automatically starts to change. You see, often we are afraid to say anything because we believe that we have to deal with the storm. We've got to fix the storm. We've got to find a solution to the storm. No, the only solution to the storm is to point people to understand who's in the boat with them when they're in the storm. And we need leaders. You are leaders in your world. Everyone's leading something. To go out and lead with an authority because you know of the power of the one in the boat with you. I want to give you three simple steps on how to aid a healthy mindset. The first is this, acknowledge your emotion. I know that storms can cause chaos. Here's the thing about our minds. The minute my emotional brain turns on, my thinking brain turns off. We've got to get emotion out. 
like diving into a swimming pool. If your goggles get filled up with water, you can't see clearly. When you're filled with emotions, you can't think and think and see clearly. We have to find safe spaces to get emotion out. I use the analogy that emotion is like vomit. You can hear my mom of boys, eh? Have you ever tried a dream of a Sunday roast while you're feeling nauseous? Really hard. We've got to get negative emotions out in order to find release. When you name it, you start to tame it. The most powerful thing you can do for someone that's going through emotional distress and they're feeling incredibly emotional is just to reflect the emotion. I can see you are feeling distressed, rejected, alone, humiliated, whatever it is, name the emotion. When you name the emotion that someone is going through, what you do for them is you get them to experience their value in your eyes. Validating another person's emotion is not solving it, it's just reflecting it. Have you ever had someone just validate your emotion? It automatically leaves you feeling valued in the eyes of somebody else. The minute that happens, there's an emotional release and my thinking brain comes back online. Most of the time we can find ways to solve what we're going through once the emotion has been released. The second step is to identify your reality. Name what you're going through. I've been betrayed, I've been rejected, I've been used, I failed. Scripture says we all fall short of the glory of God. We're all fallen, fickle, fragile, infallible, but the story doesn't end there because thanks be to Christ, he's the answer to my fallenness. The problem we make is that we don't just define ourselves, I mean, identify our reality as we define ourselves by reality. We define our failures as that's what I am. You see, shame is an identity crippling emotion. Enemy wants you to believe that what you go through is who you are. But that's not what Jesus says about us. We need to define ourselves by truth. We need to be getting into God's word on a daily basis because you are loved, you are chosen, you are redeemed. He, you are the apple of his eye. When he looks at you, he goes, you're my favorite. Everybody is his favorite. We've been justified. We can be made complete and whole in him. But what are we looking at? Hebrews 14, sorry, 4 verse 16 tells us that we can come boldly to the throne room of our gracious God. Whenever I read this, this text, I have this, this kind of image in my mind of what I call fridge rights. You know, when you go into somebody else's house and you can just open the fridge and help yourself, you can boldly enter into somebody else's fridge. That's what I call fridge rights. Scripture says we can boldly enter in. If my children are in the mud and they're dirty, they boldly enter into my arms because they know that this is their secure place where they're loved. God says we can come as we are boldly into his presence because of the work of Christ. So I wanna end where we started. We began looking at 1 Peter 1.13, which talks about preparing our minds for action. Ephesians 6 verse 14 says, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. The King James Version for Ephesians 6.14 said, stand therefore having girded your loins with truth. 
How do we prepare our minds for action? We need to be getting into God's Word. We need to be taking truth and as a belt, putting it around our minds. We need to capture rebellious thoughts, and Scripture goes on to say, and bring it to Christ, and bring it to truth. If you don't know the truth about who you are, how are you going to discern the lies? Philippians 4 verse, uh, Philippians 4 verse 8 says this, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Fix your thoughts. It's not a passive process. It's an active process. I have to intentionally think about what I'm thinking about. What is the story you are telling yourself about your worth and your value because of the storm you're in right now? Have you agreed with a lie? Is it robbing you? Is it shrinking your world? Is it holding you back from walking in the fullness of the authority that God has for you. See, God's got plans for every single one of you. But you won't, work in the, you won't walk in the fullness of it if you're believing a lie that says, God can't use me, I'm small, I'm nothing. My hope and my heart for you today is that you start to understand the fullness of the truth of who you are. I don't know where you're at in your journey, if you feel like you need help in your story, go check out the Church Center app. You can join a freedom group. It'll give you tools to help you struggle with mental health stuff. And mental health doesn't just mean I have anxiety and depression, because every anxiety and depression started with an unprocessed emotion. We gotta take ownership of our stories now. If you want practical tools, there are incredible resources here at the church. If you've got a heart for helping others, you can also go to that same church center app and, and sign up to say, hey, I wanna help. If you don't have the app yet, that's fine. There are people that will help you outside on the mall on the long info counters that will give you uh, tools and show you where to sign up. If you want some practical tools, that's what my book is full of because this is my story. Where I started looked very different to where I am today. I believe that we serve a God of restoration. So won't you stand with me? I wanna read a prayer of you. It comes from Psalm 27, verse 11, Psalm 139 and Ephesians 1. And as I read this prayer, I want you to turn it into your own prayer to God. See, the prayer of the pastor is not more powerful than the prayer of persons with problems. I want you to have time with God this morning where you start to push in. Say, hey, Jesus, I wanna hear your voice today about the truth about who I am. So in the quietness of your heart, just pray this prayer with me as we wrap up. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out lies in me that offend you. I long to live a life that pleases you. Where you are my hope, and my hope and my trust is placed in you. 
Teach me how to live, O oh Lord. And lead me along the right path. A path of everlasting life. A path of truth. And show me what that looks like day by day. Lord, I pray for your spiritual wisdom and insight so that I can continue to grow in the knowledge of you. And Lord, may my heart be flooded with your light and truth so that I can have a confident hope in knowing that I am called and that I have a rich and glorious inheritance in you. All God's sons and daughters say, Praise the Lord. What an incredible message and touching on so many realities and that there are solutions. You may, you may be seated. That there are solutions to these very, very real problems that every single one of us have to deal with. And I love the fact that Matt spoke about Joseph, the story of Joseph. And I'm going to ask every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed right now. Matt said something so very interesting when she contrasted the brothers to Joseph and how he managed to respond to his circumstances so very differently. And it was, there was one thing, there was one thing that separated him from his brothers. And it was this, she said, because God was with him. He had a relationship with God. And he faced battles. Did we not hear about? He faced some really, really tough things in life. But God was with him. And so I want to ask you this morning, do you believe that God is with you? Have you, can you say, you know what? God is with me. And if you can't say that, if you don't know, if you're not sure, that God is with you and the only way that He can be with you is when you accept Him. When you acknowledge what He has done for you through His Son, Jesus Christ. And when you receive Jesus, it doesn't mean that there will be no more storms in your life. That's not what it means. But what it does mean is that you will respond differently. The plans and the purposes that God has for your life will be fulfilled. So I want to ask for those of you sitting here this morning, if you have never made Jesus the Lord of your life, in other words, God is not with you in your world. At the count of three, I want you to raise your hand so that I can pray with you. You know, it's the simplest thing. It's, it's, a, it's an eternity changing decision, but it is so simple. This is the thing that made the, 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 uh, the Old Testament people so angry. The Sadducees and the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the time of Jesus. What made them so angry is because it was so easy. And so I want to invite you to raise your hand if you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life. If you're here today and you say to me, Paul, there was a time where I had the confidence to say yes God was with me we were close we were tight I was like Joseph but I seem to have slipped maybe into his brother's realm 
I've drawn away from God and I want to come back to Him, then I'm going to invite you as well to respond to this prayer because right now God is standing here with His arms open wide, just like the prodigal son waiting for you to come back. And thirdly, if you're sitting here and you don't know that if you were to die right now, let me tell you this, you don't know when you're going to die. But what you can know is where you will spend eternity. And if you're not sure where that will be, then I need you. I need you to be a part of this prayer. So if you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, if you want to come back to God, if you want to know for certain that you will spend eternity in heaven at the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three, right now. Raise your hand and I want to pray with you. Thank you. Wow. Thank you for those hands. Thank you for those hands. Come on. You don't want to leave here. Listen to me, folks. This is a real world and it's got real problems in it. Don't leave here not sure about your eternity, your eternal salvation. Don't leave here not knowing that you have a relationship with God. If there's anyone else, you can raise your hand right now. I'm about to pray. Anybody else? You just have to slip up your hand. That's all. We just want to see where you are because there are leaders that are coming to you. Anyone else? Just raise your hand. Simple. Simple. If you haven't raised your hand, it means I know where I'm going if I die. That's what that means to me, standing up here. And that's what that means to God. Anyone else? And our our leaders are coming, they're placing their hand on your shoulder right now. Those in the family room, those online. Don't let this broadcast or the stream end without you not being sure of where you'll spend eternity. You can raise your hand right there in the lounge. It's just a way for you to show God, listen, I I, I want in on this, Lord. I want to make you the Lord of my life. I want to be like Joseph. I want to know that God is with me. You can do that. And in the family room too. Thank you so much for all of those that have responded this morning. And if if someone's not with you and you've raised your hand, because sometimes people's hands take up very little and we can't see it properly. If no one's standing with you, you can just raise your hand up. Someone's going to come and stand and pray with you. And then I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I'm going to ask everybody in this room to repeat this prayer after me. Those of you in the family room online as well, you're going to repeat this prayer after me. Just listen to the words that you're saying. It's a short prayer, powerful. It's about to change your life. I want you to say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning that Jesus died on the cross for me. He took my place. Because of your love for me, because I matter so much to you, you sent your own son to die in my place. I believe Jesus is the son of God. I declare that he is risen from the dead. And I surrender my life to you. I thank you for forgiving me of all of my sin, for cleansing me of all unrighteousness. And because I've done this, right now, I am a child of God. Praise the Lord of hosts. Well, congratulations. Come on, let's... Let's give them a great, this is what's happening, by the way, in heaven right now. The Bible says that if only one comes to him, all of heaven rejoices. So congratulations to every one of you that just came into the family of God. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerans. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. 
If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerans and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com. Thank you.